0: For all the rest of you, if you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Psalms. Um, The 139th Psalm is where I want to uh, read from this morning. Psalms 139. We're going to begin at the first verse. I'll give you just a moment to get turned there. Good to be in God's house amongst God's people. Good to be serving God, doing the will of God. Good to know that you've got God's blessings on your life. It's just good to be a Christian this morning. Psalm 139, the first verse says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsetting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path, and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O oh Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you one more time this morning thanking you for the many blessings, thanking you for the, this church, the opportunity to gather here for each one who's come. Thank you, Lord, for the words that we have, your words that we have just read here this morning, all of them that's been read here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings you poured out on us. But we thank you most of all for your son Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and give him so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. Lord, I just pray as we go forward, um, asking your blessings on the remainder of our service, asking your blessings specifically on the preaching of your word. God, that's something that I have never felt qualified, capable, or even able to do but it's something you called me to do. So, Lord, I recognize my shortcoming. I recognize my inability. Lord, my fear is that I I will not do it in such a way that does you justice, that I won't do it um, in a way that's pleasing to you. So, Lord, I'm asking for your help right now, the preaching of your word. I'm asking that you'd clear my mind of everything uh, except for your message, your thoughts, your words. I'm asking, Lord, that you would just help me step aside so that you can step up and preach the word, preach your word here this morning. I'm asking, Lord, that you'd place uh, every word that you'd have me to speak on my tongue, Lord, that you'd unloose it, Lord, that it might go forward. I'm praying, Lord, that um, uh, just as you promise us in your word that it will not return void. I'm praying, Lord, that it will find its intended target. It will do what you've intended for it to do. I'm praying this morning, Lord, that your word will go forward. God, that hearts uh, will be uh, uh, pierced by it. God, I pray that we would have ears to hear what you would say by your spirit this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would let your word, Lord, that we would meditate upon it. God, that we would think upon it. God, that we would let it dwell deep down inside of us. God, that we would let it take root and grow and transform us from the inside out into the image of your son. God, I pray this morning, (coughs) if there's any among us that's maybe drifted away, any among us that's maybe gotten lazy, any that's grown cold or indifferent, any of us that's gotten complacent in our uh, Christianity, in our walk with you, and our relationship with you, in our religion, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day that you'd shake us to the very core of our foundation. God, my prayer today is every one of us would leave here knowing that we've been in your presence, impacted by your word, changed forever, never to be the same. So, God, I'm not capable of any of that, not even close. So, God, I'm getting out of the way. And I want you to be God of this service here this morning. Move in a mighty way. Lord, if there is any here that are lost, any who don't know, any who are just playing around, God, let today be the day that they understand and realize what it is that they're playing with, how dangerous it is that they are, that they're living, that any moment could be their last moment. The most important thing is that they know you before they leave this world. So God, have your way and your will here, and we'll give you the glory for it. Lord, I I desire your anointing, filling of your spirit, a desire for you to just to move, and we'll give you the glory because we love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name. We we'll ask it all here this morning in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Um, this first, this whole psalm, if if you want to have a better understanding of um, the character of God, um, this whole psalm is good. It goes through and it walks through the character of God. Uh, the, the first thing that it talks about here is that um, the technical term is omniscient. Um, I don't expect everyone here to know what omniscient is. Um, before I started studying the Bible, really studying in deep, really studying theology, which theology is the study of God, uh, b- before I really dug into that, I, I don't think I would have known what the word omniscient means. But omniscient means all-knowing, right? Uh, and, and that is what, you know, this is some of the best uh, scriptures on that, right? Uh, that God is all-knowing, that he knows everything. And that's one thing that the Bible makes clear, right? From beginning to end is God's knowledge of all things. And God's, they're directly connected, God's sovereignty over all things, Right? Sovereignty, right? That means power, control uh, over everything, right? That's why the queen died here recently, and you hear that word sovereign thrown around, right? Because as far as you know, the Great Britain is concerned, or the uh, the UK and in the in the British people and stuff, the 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 monarch, right? Which was the queen is now is the king uh, is sovereign, right? That's why uh, during the uh, Revolutionary War, John Adams's battle cry was as we recognize uh, um, no sovereign uh, let's see, no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus and so anyway, so God is, uh, he knows everything, right? The Bible makes it clear uh, that God, uh, about God's knowledge of all things and that God is sovereign over all things, right? So in other words God knows everything about us even as uh uh, sister donna read this morning even the number of the hairs on our head now for some of us that's a bigger deal than it is for others i get that i understand that but anyways it's it's making the point right that you know that in the scriptures that she read from matthew right that was so much as a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground what god doesn't Know about it, right? And, and, and so anyways, and, and then it ends with, uh, aren't we worth far more than a, than a sparrow, right? So if God knows that, he knows about you. And, it, and then it makes the claim that he knows even the very hairs on your head, right? And on my head, right? That, that suggests an intimate knowledge, right? How close you got to be to somebody to know even every single hair on their head. Well, pretty close. How much do you have to have had to study somebody to know that and to recognize that? So the Lord knows that all there is to know about you and about me, right? As a matter of fact, I would say uh, uh, another theme of this psalm is God's intimate knowledge of his people. Uh, I would say that was probably one of the things that was foremost on the psalmist's mind as he was writing this. Now, I want to point out something to you. Hear me through. Don't stone me. The psalmist has an interesting take on this whole idea of God knowing everything. The picture, now that's why I'm saying, you read the psalm, this is what it says, alright? So the picture that the psalmist presents of God is, the, is, is one of God finding out about us by examining us, by looking at us, right? It, it starts out in verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Searched me, right? Looked me over. Observed me, studied me. And then the psalm ends that way too, right? Verse 23 and 24 is the end of the psalm. Verse 23, he says, He invites God. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts. So the picture that, you know, I, I guess you could say here that it pictures God as entirely. Capable of doing anything with us that he wants to, right? Because uh, God has all knowledge, so that means God is in control. But that does not imply that everything we do or experience happens because God willed it to happen. That's a mistake that we make, right? That that's a mistake that we make, uh, and, and it's uh, is that. Uh, we attribute everything that happens to the will of God. Listen to me. Everything that happens is not the will of God. And that's implied here in this psalm. So that leads us to the conclusion that God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. But there's some selectiveness to it. God can know and do anything. But God chooses what to know and what to do. Now, I don't think the, the, the psalmist is being heretical in the way that he presents this. I don't think he's being unscriptural or he's out of line. It's just the picture that he paints, right? Because as humans, we have, an under, we have a hard time understanding how God can know everything, how God can control everything, but yet God still allows certain things to happen. And so and there's, a, there's a lot into this that I did not intend to dive into. I just wanted you to get an accurate picture of how the psalmist is presenting the character of God here, right? So so in light of this, right, in light of, uh, of this psalm, let me share with you this morning three things that God does not know. Now, I know when you, if you've been in church a long time, you might think that's kind of okay, because every preacher out there has got his, you know, sermon about what God does not know. But just listen to me this morning. I've got a point. I've got a reason. In light of this psalm, let's talk about three things that God does not know. Number one, God does not know a sin that he does not hate. Understand me. There is not a sin. There, God does not know of a sin that he does not hate. He is, he, his wording on it is his feelings on it is so strong that even if you back up to the fifth psalm, right, in the fourth verse, he says, uh, for thou art not a God that has pleasure in wickedness right? And then he ends the fifth verse saying that he hateth all the workers of iniquity, right? He hates the iniquity and in what they do. Uh, if you if you look at Psalms uh, uh, chapter 7 and verse 11, it says God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day, right? Uh, so when we look at this, right, the, the same principle uh, of this that God hates sin, it carries over into the New Testament also. Some people try to separate and divorce themselves Uh, from, you know, thinking that there is a line of separation in the character of God between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the truth is he's the same God in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament also. And so there are those that teach that the character of, of, of God has changed from the days of the Old Testament. Those people that teach that, they are guilty of twisting the scripture. The scripture does not teach that in any place, anywhere at all. Now understand that, you know, while it is true that Jesus Christ Absorbed the wrath of God on Calvary, right? Whenever He died for us on Calvary's cross, it is not right to imply that God's feelings. Towards uh, sin have changed. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. If you look at the book of Revelation, right? I, I preached on this very thing here, I don't know, a month or two ago. But if you look at the book of Revelation, the message of Jesus Christ to the church at Pergamos uh, included uh, some strong words and rebuke for this church at Pergamos Pergamos for their toleration of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And we talked about where that come from and the history of that and what that probably meant according to tradition anyways. And so uh, concerning this crowd, Jesus even said, which thing I hate he hated this doctrine of the nicolaitans he hated because he hates sin if you'll remember uh you can read about that uh, revelations um chapter 2 and verse 15 it's where he says this thing which i hate uh, but anyways this was this was the teaching of nicolaitans is that the christian could engage in sin they could engage in immoral behavior without consequences if you'll remember we can Compared that to the doctrine today that's taught of one saved, always saved. This thing of the reason that God hated what the Nicolaitans was teaching was because he hates sin. So, according to the scriptures, we know that there's no sin that God does not hate. There are many people today that try to classify some sins as worse than others. Right? We'll think what I did is not as bad as what somebody else did. I've told you this before, but it had such an impact on me. I preached a revival several years ago down in Ava. There was an older gentleman there that <coughs> excuse me, sat in the back of the church each night. There was actually a couple that went to church there Actually, a deacon and his wife that went to church there That stopped at the nursing home every evening, picked up this gentleman, brought him to church there. This man was lost. Now, you'll see in some churches and in group, in amongst some groups of people where uh, they'll even, you know, go out into the congregation and try to compel somebody to come forward. I've, I've, I've seen that. I've been around been in services where that's happened um i've i've never been a a fan of that whatsoever um I, i just i don't think god needs any help to get somebody to move i just really don't you know and so anyways it's god's dealing with their heart and it's their decision that's just the way i see it and normally i don't know as a preacher as a minister i don't normally know what's going on in your heart and what's going on in your mind but once in a while because God is moving on somebody so strong that their emotions and their, just their expressions and the way that they act and stuff will kind of give away that something is going on. You would have had been blind to not recognize and see that this man was under some severe conviction. He sat back there in the back of, for, for me, it was my left side, So it was on that side over there. And God is dealing with his heart, and it's night after night. And man, I could tell there was, I mean, there was a fight going on back there. And I finally, it wasn't the last night of the revival, but we're getting on towards it. I finally went back there after the service, right, i wasn 't going to do one of these things where uh, you you know where you know I call somebody out or there 's a lot of cheap tricks there really is you know this i mean i 'm not even into the raise your hand thing and i 'm not condemning anybody that does that because there's plenty of people that do that kind of thing but anyways I just you know i just i, I just couldn't i just couldn 't stop thinking about him i couldn 't stop thinking about what was going on i knew I knew that he had to be. Um just by the nature of the circumstances, his age and where he was living at, he's living, you know. I just knew he was in, you know, even the latter part of his life, you know, who knows how much time he had left. Maybe not much, you know. And so finally I just went back, and I think it was on Thursday night of revival, if I remember right, after the service, while he was still there, I didn't run to the back and shake hands like I normally do. I ran to the back, but I made a left and I sat down next to him. I started to talk to him. I mean, his face is still wet from the tears. I was hoping that I was wrong on what I thought, you know. And I, and I was hoping that, you know, maybe God was dealing with him about something else that he already was saying, but I knew that he wasn't. I was hoping that maybe, sitting down and talking to him, maybe he just didn't know what he needed to do. You know, knew he needed to do something problem was he knew God was dealing with him, right? That tells me deep down he knew he needed to be saved. He knew that if he didn't do something, what was going to happen? But he just couldn't ever accept the fact, confess it to God that he had sinned, that he had done something wrong that he needed to be saved from. He kept hanging on to the fact I've been a good guy, I have never done anybody wrong, I've always lived according to the law, I've done everything that a person should do. He just did not feel. He desperately wanted to go to heaven, but he just did not feel that he could repent because he didn't think there was anything that he needed to repent of. That's what is sad, and that's one thing that troubled me very much in my ministry then and, and after that, the memory of it. Because I'd like to say I got a happy Indian that he, you know, eventually got it and got saved. And as far as I know, he's in hell right now. I, I don't know that for sure. I know that he didn't get saved at that revival. I know that I actually seen him. Um, Lord had me there doing quite a bit of work in Ava for a while. I've seen him multiple times. He never got saved. That deacon down there, I kept checking with them right up until, you know, the gentleman passed away. And they said, as far as they knew, he never made any kind of confession of faith. He was just, It was just the same thing. Listen to me. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You might not be a mass murderer. Right? You might not have broken the law but I'll guarantee you that you've come short of the glory of God I'll guarantee you that you've fallen short I'll guarantee you that every single one of us have something to repent of and you will not make it to heaven as long as your pride keeps you from doing that right that's really the the problem where really when you get right down to it is pride I've been a good guy or a good gal, you know. I've I, I never done nobody wrong. I've been a good person all of my life. It's pride that says those things. There are many people that attempt to classify their sins as worse than others. Listen to me. The fact of the matter is um, some sins, yeah, some sins carry a greater consequence. No doubt about that. You murder somebody, you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail, maybe even executed. No doubt about it. There's a greater consequence there than than other sins, right? Than if you just lose your temper and say something that you shouldn't say, right? But all sin is evil in the eyes of God. All sin right? There's the, there's the same punishment, right? No one has ever accomplished anything by trying to make their their sins seem small in comparison to other sins or other people or other things, right? So there is not a single sin, I don't care how big or how small that it is, that God, God does not know a, a single sin that he does not hate, and none of it will enter into his presence. None of it. So that leads me to the second thing that God doesn't know. God does not know of any other remedy for sin besides the blood of Jesus. There's a generation today of so-called religious scholars that are attempting to create another way to God besides the, besides the Bible way, besides the biblical way. The Bible makes it clear, right, Uh, in many places throughout the scriptures that God does not know any remedy for sin. Besides having your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, there is no other way. When we look at First Peter chapter one verse eighteen, he says there for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain uh, conversation, right? He, he said in your vain, he said you can't buy your way into heaven, right? You can't do enough good works, enough good deeds in order to redeem yourself. Uh, you, well, however you got this, it goes on and it says, "Receive by the tra- uh, tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's why uh, Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace it is through jesus that is the only way there is no other way it seems like everyone today is looking for some other way to be made right with god and to go to heaven we live in a society today in a time that tells us that we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't say anything or do anything that makes other people Uh, feel uncomfortable, right? That's the the whole thing, right? We're not supposed to address uh, homosexuality as sin. We're not supposed to address same-sex marriage as sin. Uh, We're not supposed to uh, address this whole transgender thing as an illness and as a sickness and and as a distortion uh, of, of, of God's creation. We're not supposed to call these things out, right? We're not even supposed to say today that if you live together with who you're not married to that you're sin, And God hates that sin, right? And it's not going to enter into His presence, right? We're not supposed to say these things, right? We're not supposed to put out all the uh, vices uh, that Satan has from drinking to gambling to uh, drugs and addiction and you name it, right? We're not supposed to call these things out. We're not supposed to name them a sin. We might make somebody feel uncomfortable, right? might seem like we're wagging our finger at somebody news for you. I have fallen far short of the glory of God. I'm not pointing my finger at you, but but I'm telling you right now, the Bible makes it clear that those things are sin. God hates them. There is nothing, nothing that you can do in your own power, in your own life, in your own mind to make up for it. They enough silver, they enough gold. Your vain conversations. The traditions of your fathers. There is nothing. God knows of no other way. Do you think for just a minute if God knew of another way that he would have sent his only begotten that's only special precious son? to die the most horrible and wicked death imaginable, right? The crucifixion, right? The worst kind of execution there is. God voluntarily sent His Son because He knew of no other way. No other way for our our sin to be paid. No other way for us to be redeemed. No other way for us to be forgiven other than by the blood of Jesus. So, when society spits out things like this nonsense of not calling out sin, they say they do it because they love people. They don't love people, they hate them. Right? They're leading them to hell. They're giving them a false sense of hope and security. You don't set somebody up that you love, that you actually care Forget love, let's just say care about. Let's just say have natural human compassion and inclination for somebody. You don't set somebody up that that you have any compassion for whatsoever to spend an eternity in a devil's hell. That's not love. That's not compassion. That's not caring about your fellow men. When these people like, and I know that it it's was done 15 years ago probably now, but Oprah famously said on her show that there's many paths to heaven. Baloney. Oprah is a liar straight from the pits of hell. I don't have anything personally against her except for saying nonsense like that. There's been some very well-known preachers and evangelists that have very later on in their ministry talked about people being, you know, basically that there being more than just one path that they were a little too How'd they say that? They were, they were a little too zealous in their youth by saying that Jesus was the only way. There, that last part was a direct quote. Baloney. God does not know of any other way. And it's a, it's a mockery and an insult to even suggest that there is any other way to heaven. That there is any other remedy for sin Besides the blood of Jesus. If there is, that means that Jesus' blood was shed for nothing. When we say something like that, or somebody says something like that, they do nothing but trample on that blood. Trample on his sacrifice. Trample on the very crucified body of the only begotten Son of God. The Bible makes it plain. There is no other remedy for, sin, for the sins of man other than the precious blood of Jesus. And one last thing, and I, I'm done. God, God does not know of a better time to repent than right now. God does not call upon sinners to become religious or to reform their own lives. He does, God does not call us to clean up our act, straighten up, live right, Right? When we do that kind of nonsense, all we do is we produce self righteous people. Right? All that is is a path to the same thing the Pharisees was self righteousness. What God does call uh, us to do, what He does call sinners to do, is to repent and to receive. His grace, right? He calls us to repent. And this is not just some fleeting feeling of remorse in somebody's heart. Real repentance is a change of mind and a change of heart regarding sin and regarding our own thoughts and our own ways. It is a turning away from sin and a turning towards God. Whereas we once thought that sin, thought of sin as entertaining as satisfying, as full of pleasures, we now see those same things as evil, as destructive, as vices of the enemy, as deeply offensive to the Lord God. But repentance does not just end there. That's where it begins. That's only where it begins once the spirit of God begins to do his work inside of us we will spend the rest of our lives turning away from sin and turning towards Jesus so the question is that I asked to begin with well the question is implied by the statement that Jesus does not know or that God does not know of a better time to repent than right now when is the right time to repent Well, God does not know of any better time than right now. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, that God uh, commandeth all men everywhere to repent. No one should wait another day to turn from sin and trust in Jesus. We should linger no longer in the sins of our past. We must repent and make certain that our hearts are right with the Lord today, now, right? Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. God does not know of a better time to repent than right now. You're not guaranteed another opportunity beyond this moment. The Lord could come at any time. At any moment. This could be your last moment at any time. Do not wait. Do not miss this opportunity. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as Jennifer begins to play a song of invitation for you here this morning. And I'm going to, I, I'm just going to ask you the question. Are you right with God? If he was to call, we like to say call our number. If he was to call your name today, if your number was to come up today, if today was your day to die, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you would where you would spend eternity? Where in the next moment you would be? Maybe you're good with where you're at. But maybe there's ones that you care about and ones in your life and ones near to you, ones near to you, ones close to you that you know they're not where they ought to be. You know that they don't have that intimate knowledge of God that the psalmist talked about. They're not inviting God to search them and to try them. They could care less what God thinks. Man, you need to be praying for them. You need to be praying for them. That needs to be a burden on your heart if it's not already. A concern on your mind. If you've got somebody like that, would you come pray for them? Whatever the need, whatever the burden, if the Spirit of God is drawing you, would you come this morning? Would you come? Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God.